Amen. Let's pray. Father, may that be our earnest prayer to know You more, to know Your Son more. With all our heart and soul, Father, we want to know Christ more. We want to draw away from this world and closer to Him. We want to know Christ in His death and resurrection. That's our prayer, Father. We come before You now and and we pray that You will bless our time. Visit with us this morning. We commit this word to You and and we pray that You will use it in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to know Christ. What a desire. Can you echo that this morning? Amen. How well do you know Him? How would you describe who He is and what He means to you in your life? Is it even possible to fully describe Jesus Christ? No. Many have tried, but in my opinion, the closest attempt ever made was by the late Dr. S.M. Lockridge. Dr. Shadrach Meshach Lockridge was a preacher, a pastor of a church in San Diego. And in 1976, while he was visiting another church in Michigan, he included this six-minute description of Jesus in his sermon. Now, I could read you the, the transcript of his description, but it wouldn't carry the, the weight of hearing the speaker in his own words, in his impassioned baritone voice, 36 years ago on a night in Detroit. If you've heard this on the Internet, no doubt you've been blessed. If you haven't, hold on to your seats. Listen. The Bible says he's a king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. David said the heavens declare the glory of God. And the fundament showeth his handiwork. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supplies. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. Well, well, he's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. And he's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in high criticism. He's a fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. And that's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs 
simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He starves and he dies. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. And he delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? Well, my king is a key of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. He's a master of the mighty. He's a captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. And he's the lord of lords. That's my king. Yeah. Yeah. That's my king. My king. Yeah. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Well, I wish I could describe him to you, but he, he's indescribable. He's indescribable. Yes. He, he's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you, the heavens of heavens cannot contain him, let alone a man explaining him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. Yeah! He always has been, and he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor. And he'll have no successor. There was nobody before him, and there'll be nobody after him. You can't him, teach him, and he's not going to resign. That's my king. Time is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory. The glory is all his. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. And when you get through with all of the forever, then amen. That's my king. Amen? Can you say it this morning? That's my king. 
brings a smile to my face every time I hear that. Trying to describe the indescribable. That's my king. Do you know him? Not do you know of him. Not do you know about him. Not, not do you know what he's done in the lives of those around you. Do you know him personally? Intimately? I'm not asking if you've learned about him, studied about him. Have you experienced him? And do you continue to experience him more deeply every day? You know, if I ask, what's your highest goal in life? As followers of Christ, the answer is simple. To know Him more. Beyond any cause, no matter how good. Beyond any person, no matter how needy. Beyond any pursuit or accomplishment. No matter how great. Our highest goal, our greatest desire should be to know Him more. The example was set long ago for us by the Apostle Paul. He made it his chief aim to know Christ more. And his impassioned letter to the Philippians is our text this morning. It should be our chief desire as well. We're going to read it. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 4. You can look up at the video screens as well. Here Paul is urging the Philippians to reprioritize and realign their focus. To put aside selfish desires, self-confidence, boasting, boasting in themselves and their accomplishments. He wants to refix their vision on the only thing worth pursuing in life. Doesn't matter who we are. Doesn't matter what we've done, what we've accomplished, what we've achieved. Our goal should be to know Christ more. Let's read. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 4. Though I myself have reason for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. His religious resume was unparalleled. But whatsoever was to my profit, he says, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And here's our verse. Verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. What an inspirational word He gave. What a lesson for us today. What a desire he had. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Paul. Paul, what what are you talking about? You know Christ. You know Jesus. You know all about him. You, you You were at the apex of Jewish leadership. 
You spent your youth in intense religious training. You learned all about the prophecies contained in Scripture. You knew all about Jesus. You you spent your early days researching him and his teachings and his claims. You pursued his followers to no end. You talked to them personally. You heard their witness. You heard their testimonies. You, You heard their experiences firsthand from them. How can you say your greatest desire is to know Christ? Friend, knowing Christ isn't an intellectual exercise. Knowing Christ isn't about reciting His biblical resume or or hearing testimony about what He's done in someone else's life. It's not theoretical. It's not second-hand. It's personal. Well, wait, Paul. Paul had a conversion on the road to to Damascus. He He was a Christian. He had become a follower of Christ. Do you know that it's possible to be a Christian, to be saved, to be a follower of Christ and still not know Him well. John 14, 8 and 9 tells us that Philip, after following Jesus for a number of years, says to him, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus says to him, Have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me? Salvation is the first step to knowing Christ. It's the most important and crucial step. But it is not the end of our journey in knowing Him. How then do we know Him? If salvation begins our path to knowing Him, how do we continue? How do we know Him more? I wish I could tell you could follow 12 quick steps. Pick up a study guide. Answer some questions. It's not easy. It's not immediate. Knowing Christ is a lifelong commitment. It's a relationship. We walk with Him daily. We spend time with Him. We encounter Him continuously. We worship Him. We take to Him our burdens and and watch Him lift them. We take to Him our needs and, and watch Him meet them. We share with Him our deepest hurts and experience His healing touch. We wait on Him to answer our heartfelt prayers. We trust Him when we see His hand at work. We trust Him when we don't. We trust Him in the dark. We learn about His principles and we exercise them in our lives. We obey His Word. We serve Him. We stand for Him. We share about Him. We honor Him with our lives. We live sanctified lives, separating ourselves from the ways of this world. We let Him change our lives and our characters because we cannot truly know Him without wanting to be like Him. We emulate Him. The more we know Him, the more we reflect Him in our lives. Knowing Christ is it's a very active commitment. It's not intellectual. It's not passive. It takes a daily dedication, but it pays eternal rewards. Amen? Today, I want us to look at what it means to know Him. We're going to look at three aspects of knowing Christ. One, knowing Him in the power of His resurrection. Two, knowing Him in the pain of His suffering. And three, knowing Him in the perspective of of his intercession. 
So first, we want to know Christ in the power of His resurrection. Paul says that he longs to know Him in the power of His resurrection. And I I love the resurrection story because it speaks of victory. In His resurrection, Jesus conquered death and the grave. And every believer in Christ has been resurrected. For we died with Him. We were buried with Him and we have risen with Him. With His Spirit in our hearts, we share in that resurrection power. How wonderful to know that Christ has power. Power over what? Over you name it. Over sin, death, hell. How about finances? Economic turmoil. Work stresses. Political unrest. Broken relationships. Physical ailments. Christ has power over them. Persecution at school or at work. Christ has power over it. There's nothing in this life or the next that Christ does not have power over. And the good news is that if you know Him, and if you're redeemed by the blood He shed on that cross, that power is proxy to you. It's nice to have powerful friends, isn't it? There was a song years ago, Friends in High Places. Do you remember that? Isn't it time we live with that regard? If we know Him, we have a friend in the highest place. A friend who made it all, who controls it all. If you have a personal relationship with Christ, you can claim that same power. That same power that overcame Satan's greatest temptations lives in you. The same power that conquered sin, trampled death and hell, walked out of the grave victorious, lives in you. And let's be clear about this. It's not our own power. It's His power that we claim, that we rely upon, that we lean upon. Are you living in light of that power? Isn't it about time? Isn't it time you start living like we've already won? Because you know what? We have. In Him we have. Jesus Christ has already won the victory. Every victory. He's conquered your greatest enemy and broken the chains that held you captive. Start living that way. Isn't it time we live victoriously instead of in timidity, fear, hiding and shame? Start telling the devil, no, you have no claim here. Because I'm a child of the king, the resurrected king. Stop cowering to sin. Sin sin has no power over you if you're living in his light. The world can do nothing to your soul because it's already been ransomed. It's already been purchased and secured by the blood of Christ. He conquered sin for you. He conquered death for you. He conquered hell for you. Live victoriously. We've got Jesus on our side. We have Jesus in our court. Live with a power that that doesn't back down from your beliefs, your principles, your loyalties. You know, do, you, do you live life as, as an incognito Christian? Hiding. I, I hope no one finds out. It's embarrassing. I, I, don't, wanna, I don't want people to think I'm, I'm weird, I'm, I'm different, I'm strange. Stop living in shame and defeat. You hear it a lot this time of year. Vote your principles. It's true. But I'm telling you today, live your principles. 
Be proud of your principles because they're God's principles. Talk about your faith. Share about what He's done in your life when the opportunity arises. Stand for what you believe. Don't hide the greatest thing about you. You're on the winning team. Hold your head up high and start living like it. Let me share with you what Charles Spurgeon once said about resurrection power. He said, the resurrection is the cornerstone of the entire building of Christianity. It is the keystone of the arch of our salvation. It would take a volume to set forth all the streams of living water which flow from this one sacred source, the resurrection of our dear Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But to know that He has risen and to have fellowship with Him as such, communing with the risen Savior by possessing a risen life, seeing Him leave the tomb by leaving the tomb of worldliness ourselves, this is even still more precious. May you both know Him and the power of His resurrection. Why should souls, he says, who are quickened with Jesus, wear the grave clothes of worldliness and unbelief? Rise, for the Lord is risen. Inspiring, isn't it? Challenging. There's power in knowing Christ as our personal Savior. We no longer live in bondage to the flesh, to sin, to the devil. We live in a victorious freedom that He purchased for us. Do you know Him like that? Do you know Him closely enough that you claim and live in the light of His power? Have you left behind the grave clothes of this world, of its temptations, of its entrapments and entanglements? In His power, you can leave them behind. You can walk away from everything this world can offer you because you know what? We've got something better. We've got something eternal. We serve a risen Savior. And when you walk closely with Him and you live to know Him more, you realize and you live in light of that power. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. Number two, I want to know Him in the pain of His suffering. Paul says if we want to know the power of His resurrection, we must know the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. How comforting it is to know that no matter what we go through, no matter what pain and suffering we experience, we have a Savior who can sympathize, who's gone through more, far more, far more severe. He's experienced something far greater. Look, everyone here likes to talk about the benefits of knowing Christ, of His resurrection power, but no one wants the sufferings. The truth is the resurrection could never have occurred without the suffering on the cross. Only a true follower will understand and experience the fellowship of His suffering. The reality is living for Jesus isn't easy. If you find it easy to live for Christ, I would challenge you to examine your level of commitment. The reality is it's not an easy road. There's a reason it's called the narrow road and few choose it. The closer you get to Christ, the greater an enemy you become to Satan. As you go down the road of knowing Christ, you'll run into challenges and difficulties and pain. And at these times, it's, it's critical 
to ask ourselves, do you really want to know him more closely? Do you really want a closer walk in all that it entails? We do. We do. At the place of suffering, there's always the simultaneous call to intimacy. And that's why in trials we ask, Lord, why is this happening to me? And very often the reason behind our trials is that God is taking us to the next level of intimacy with Him as we trust Him and grow in Him. Think about a shirt being ironed. A hot, heavy iron presses down over every wrinkle, every inch. And the process is painful to that shirt if it had feelings. But it's required to get out all the wrinkles, isn't it? When I was in college, quite often I would experience something. Students who were auditing a class. It was something I wasn't familiar with. And uh, it was a strange concept to me, and it's still strange to me. So you could choose to sit in on a class, come to every lecture, but you don't do any of the work. You don't use the textbooks or, or take the, te- the, the tests. You have no assignments that you have to complete, and you don't receive a grade for the class. Auditing students simply listen and observe for their own benefit and experience. And let me tell you, as I was spending countless hours through the night studying for exams and completing assignments, I hated auditing students. (laughs) They were there for all the teaching, but never for the tests or work. They never experienced any of the pain or suffering I did. And I I was sure, and I'm still sure today, that the worst regular student in that class still learned more than any auditing student. One tendency of half-hearted churchgoers is to audit the Christian life. They might attend church or come to Bible study, but they don't put those lessons to use in their daily lives. A trial of life hits, they flee. They might profess to follow Christ and even go through the motions of obedience, but they don't really know Him or live closely to Him. How about you? Are you all in? Are you sold out for Christ? Are you standing on the sidelines auditing the Christian life? When we go through the fire of trials, we're stripped of the opportunity to rely solely on ourselves. And that's a good thing. We can't be self-sufficient because there's nothing we can do in ourselves. We must rely solely on God. The reality is that God uses those trials to draw us closer. And as we come closer to Him, we learn priceless lessons of dependence on Him, of His provisions and providences, of His mercy and compassion. In our suffering, we learn to see with eyes of compassion. We develop a heart for others. We develop a heart for the hurting. Christ uses pain in our lives in order to prepare us to help those who hurt. Look, no one wants to go through pain, through suffering, through trials. But it's an inevitable and necessary part of life. A life without suffering is a life without substance. A life without strength. Pain deepens us. Pain matures us. 
Suffering turns us into stronger Christians because it fixes our dependence and our gaze on Him. Try as you might, you can never hide from suffering in life. The key is how we respond to that suffering. Do we throw ourselves at His feet and draw closer to Christ in dependence? Or do we pull away in bitterness? The good news is that suffering shall pass. Pain will end. No matter how difficult a trial we're experiencing may be, it too shall pass. The pain will pass, but the work that Christ does in you lasts for eternity. What you become through your trial is forever. The great artist, Auguste Renoir, suffered so severely from rheumatism that just holding a brush in his hand was enough to make him wince with pain. Why do you keep painting? A friend once asked him. The pain passes, replied Renoir, but the beauty remains. You'll never truly grasp his resurrection power, his power over sin and temptations and trials, unless you've first been through the suffering in complete dependence on him. There can't be a victory unless there was first a battle. He's in the battle with you. That's the good news. Draw closer to Him. Know Him in the pain of His suffering. I want to know Him in the power of His resurrection. I want to know Him in the pain of His suffering. And finally, I want to know Him in the perspective of His intercession. He not only suffered for us on the cross, He not only died for us, He not only was buried for us and rose from the dead, He returned to His Father's side where we're told He intercedes on our behalf. Romans 8.34 tells us, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Do you know someone who has the gift of encouragement? Natural-born cheerleaders. Always pulling for you, cheering you on, praying for you often. We need people like that in our lives. But as Christians, we have something so much more. We have Jesus. We have a friend who sticks closer than a brother. An advocate interceding for us at the right hand of God. We may never fully know how many times... He has interceded for us on our behalf and moved the hand of God to rescue us, to come to our aid, to comfort us. Even now, at this very moment, Jesus may be speaking to the Father in your defense. What an awesome thought. And with that thought in mind, knowing that Christ has our back, that He defends us, that He intercedes for us and speaks to the Father on our behalf, How then shall we live? Don't we want to live to make Him proud of us? He's invested so much in you. He left His throne in heaven for you. He left His place of divinity and put on human form for you. He died the cruelest of deaths for you. He ransomed you from a life of sin. He redeemed your soul from the throes of hell. 
He conquered death and the grave for you. And He spends His time interceding for you. He spends His time praying to the Father for you. Working on your behalf for your providence, for your protection, for your good. He gave up everything for you and now spends His time thinking of you. What an investment He made. Are you an investment that's paid dividends? Are you living a life worthy of the investment He made in you? That's the perspective we should have. It's quite different from what the world teaches us, isn't it? The world tells us live for today, live for you, get all you can. But in Christ, if our mind is focused on Him, if we live to know Him more, we can't help but live for Him. He is our focus. He spends His time thinking of you, defending you, interceding for you. Live a life worthy of that expense. Live a life worthy of that intercession. He's called you from your rags and made you a child of the King. Paul says in Ephesians 4 and verse 1, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. May we live our lives. May we make our decisions, choose our priorities with that in mind. It should drive us. Let it shape our language, our responses to people, how we handle circumstances thrown our way. May that perspective determine how we spend our time and upon what we focus our thoughts. Live as Christ would want you to live. Act as Christ would want you to act. Speak as He would want you to speak. That's knowing Him in the perspective of His sacrifice and His intercession for you. May it be our earnest prayer this morning. I want to know Him more. In the power of His resurrection, in the pain of His suffering, and in the perspective of His intercession. And always remember, when you know Him more, you are changed. Knowing Christ more doesn't end in just knowing Him more. It produces something. It produces a Christ-like life. You know, you can learn everything you can about Scripture. You can sign up for and complete every Emmaus course, every theological study, every Bible class, and I would encourage you to do that. But if you only let it become what you know and not what you live, then what have you accomplished? You cannot remain unchanged as you develop a more intimate relationship with Christ. It shapes who you become. It shapes who you are and how you live. Tim Hansel, in his book, When I Relax, I Feel Guilty, he writes some insights of what most people want from Christ. The popular notion, the popular desire, he says, is this. I would like to buy $3 worth of Christ, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of Him to make me love those I hate or work with those beneath me. 
I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the, of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy $3 worth of Christ, please. He says, if we would be totally honest, the idea of more of Christ really scares us. That's because we know that such a radical change would be quite uncomfortable. We realize that with a deeper relationship comes a major overhaul of our lives and priorities. Knowing Christ more involves a required change on your part, doesn't it? You cannot hold Christ in one hand and the world in another. You cannot claim His righteousness in one hand and hold on to your own in the other. That's why Paul said that in verse 7 of our text. Whatever was to my profit, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Friend, do you want to know Him more? Do you want to develop a deeper walk with Him, a more intimate relationship with Him? You've got to let go first of what you're holding on to. You want Him to fill up your life and your thoughts and your time? Empty them first of whatever's taken hold of you. You want to trust Him more to have a deeper faith and a reliance on Him? Let go of whatever your faith is resting on now. Your strength, your friends, your money, your resources, they will all fail you eventually. Christ never will. You want to know His principles and His ways more deeply? Let go of your own first. Your ways, your concepts, they will eventually fail. Christ's will always remain true. You want to know Christ's will for your life. Let go of your own first. Your dreams, your aspirations, your plans and your goals. If they're not His will, they will never make you happy. His will give you eternal contentment. More of Christ and less of me. May that be our earnest desire today. I want to know Christ more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before You today with open, honest hearts and a sincere desire to know Christ more. To know Him in the power of His resurrection, the pain of His suffering and the perspective of His intercession. Father, we want a closer walk, a deeper relationship with Your Son. And we know what that requires on our part. Lord, help us to let go of what we're holding on to. To let go of this world, our ways, our wills, our pride. Give us the strength, Father, and the faith for a more intimate relationship. We love You. We thank You and we pray in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.